The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layered timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the updates for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagicdesign.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. And in this episode, I'm going to continue my interview with Stephen Cohen. We're going to talk about the first time editing with an Avid on a feature, as well as his book, Avid Agility. And after hearing this interview, if you want to check out his book, go to splicenow.com. That's Stephen's webpage. You can pick it up there. And in the meantime, if you want to rate this show, go to iTunes, give us a rating, help us get up in the uh, listings. And in the meantime, enjoy our interview with Stephen Cohen. Now, you mentioned Martha Coolidge, and you've worked with her on several films. How did the two of you meet, and how did you approach building a relationship and sustaining one? Because you've worked with her on several films. I worked with Martha on many films, and we met through an interview, actually. But I knew a lot about her at that interview and knew who she was and was very eager to work with her. She had a background in documentary, which made me very interested in her, in who she was. And um, I had seen her documentaries and I had followed her career because she had come from the kind of independent documentary world and was beginning to make it in Hollywood. I had tremendous respect for her and and wanted to work with, with her very badly. So I got lucky enough she was doing another TV movie that I was up for and ended up interviewing with her. And we had a really good interview and a really good relationship. And that began a long association. To jump to Lost in Yonkers, I was wondering, because you were cutting with the early Avid system, what I found today, and this is just from when I'm working on a project, I find a lot of producers are expecting that the sound be really filled in, I guess you could say. So when we cut on film, we didn't put in the sound effects because we only had a couple tracks to work with. Yeah. So when you were working on Lost in Yonkers, did you find, like, did you, how many, I guess, audio tracks did you have? And did you find that producers already at that point were wanting more sound work? Well, nobody knew what to want, okay, because we were so, you know, we were still very much in the old world when, where you had one track and you did your best you, that you could to put it together. Or if you had a chem, you could do a sort of chem mix, which meant three tracks mixed down to one for a screening. Or you did a quick temp mix. But I'm trying to remember how many tracks we had on those early avids. It was either four or eight. And it meant that we could definitely do much more elaborate work, less than we can do now for sure. But we could cut music, which was a very exciting thing. And we did that. And we could cut sound effects. And we did that. And we definitely mixed in the avid. And that was the beginning of, of what you're exactly what you're talking about, which is that it's a, a very reified soundtrack is pretty much expected now. A, a track that would have been a final mix at some point in the early part of my career is now an absolute scratch track that comes out of your avid. Mm-hmm. And, and it's weird because it's almost like now you give that to Pro Tools or to the sound team and they pop it into Pro Tools and then they expand it even more. Oh, yeah. No, sound has come a long way. 
And I think that's a good thing. One thing I noticed when watching Lost in Yonkers and your other work, such as uh, The Prince of Me, is that you have a really strong understanding of the emotional beats within a scene. In particular, when I was watching Lost in Yonkers, I noticed it with the when the children first meet the grandmother. And I was wondering if you could, I guess, give me a sense of how you approach an emotionally tense scene or an emotionally important scene for the film. And and I, I just use the grandmother because that's the one that really stuck out with me is, is how you're sort of emphasizing her coldness to the kids and everything. Sure. So I was wondering if you could give me a sense of how you approach a scene that's emotionally important. Well, you sort of hope that every scene is emotionally important, but I don't think I approach different kinds of scenes differently. I mean, you have to start with the script. You always read the script multiple times, and then you get film. You know, you've talked to the director repeatedly about the script. I think maybe part of the answer to your question is that in the initial viewing of the dailies, I'm doing my best to concentrate as much as I can and to sort of allow my emotions to go wherever they want to go and follow that, okay? So watching dailies is a very important thing to me and sort of discovering the scene, what part of that moves me and in what way, you know, you can get moved in many different ways. So how do I feel as I'm watching the film? You know, because actors will give you different kinds of performances even within the same take. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, what line resonates with me? What doesn't? And you begin to develop in your mind a shape for the scene and particularly an emotional arc for the scene. Where are the important emotional beats and what performance characteristics are contributing to that emotional state. And then based on that, then I go back and actually start cutting. But it's that initial viewing that gives you a sense of, you know, you you may decide that this very dramatic scene is really kind of comedic. And that's because of what you are given and what the actors are doing. And all of a sudden you may have a different view of what the scene really means. So you're communicating with the actors, whether they know it or not, with the director, with the writer, with the cinematographer, and all of that is sort of washing over you. Then as you cut, you may discover other things, juxtapositions that you can make. But somewhere in those initial viewings of the film, there's a sense of where the climaxes are and how those beats have to play out and what they are to mean and which performance qualities are going to feel most honest and most true to the scene. And, I, you know, I would say this to the younger editors listening that never gloss over the watching of the film. It can feel like torture to watch all the dailies because you want to get to it. You want to be cutting. But all your initial impressions of the film are going to guide you and you won't get those initial impressions again. There's a sort of a craft aspect that comes in, which is how do I put all these pieces together to make them into a seamless whole, make it look like it all happened at once in real time. And that dominates your work as you're building the scene. And you have to use, you have to have a touchstone and that touchstone is your initial impression. And if you glossed over those initial viewings because you thought you weren't doing anything, by watching the film, you're not grounded and you don't have a place to start from. Now, Lost in Yonkers was based on a Neil Simon play. Mm -hmm. And a lot of plays are restricted to their locations or they have uh, heavy dialogue scenes. Did you find this restricting in any way or did you have to rework the pacing to 
help improve scenes in any way? Well, I don't think that, you know, from the level, from the perspective of the editing room, we were just trying to make the best movie we could Mm -hmm. on some kind of higher level, taking something that happened, you know, on a, on a wooden stage and putting it out into the real world, I'm sure had story problems and script problems that were challenging. Lost in Yonkers is also very interesting tonally and it's, 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 partially a very funny comedy and it's partially a very sad and beautiful tragedy and you should laugh and cry in that film. Now I'd love to jump to your book Avid Agility. Okay. One of the things I've noticed is it's got things that even like a a well-established Avid editor might be surprised they didn't realize or they didn't know. So I was wondering how did you go about making sure that your book stood out from everyone else's? That was easy because I didn't know about all the other books. (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, seriously, I wrote the book only because I felt like I could. Like I had this knowledge that I wanted to share with other people. I wasn't trying to make a textbook and I wasn't trying to make a book that would appeal to everybody. I wanted to make a book that said, okay, I know this stuff and I think this should be written down somewhere. So it became a question, it, it was more a question of not, I should write the book, but I can write this book. What book can I write? And I wanted to write something that reflected, implicitly reflected the way I work. So I wanted to write something that was personal, not encyclopedic. So I wanted to focus on the tricks that I knew, right? And then I showed it to a, several people, one of whom primarily had final cut experience. And she came back to me and said, you know, this really could be an introductory book if you wanted it to be. You've left some introductory stuff out, but if you put that in, because I had written this book more for my friends, for advanced editors. She said, you know, it wouldn't take much. She didn't really know anything about the Abbott, and she said, I feel like I do know it now, but there was some stuff that you kind of skipped over. So I went back in, and it didn't take much. There was maybe 10 pages in there that got written that were pretty basic. And the hope at that time, and I didn't know if it would work, is that it would appeal to relative beginners as well as advanced editors. It does seem to work for both groups, which I'm very proud of. I think that was, in a way, the hardest thing of all. Well, it's a very fine, delicate balance, right? You don't want to leave people behind, but you also don't want to dumb it down for people. Yes, and I didn't want to write the kind of classic textbook that says, this is what we will teach you in this chapter. Now, here it is, and then at the end, this is what we taught you. I wanted to write something that was quicker and more um, fast on its feet. Just said, I know you're an editor. This is what you need to know. Are there plans to release a a digital version or is there a digital version that people can download if they want? Yes, there's a Kindle version. And I chose the Kindle platform only because it's so ubiquitous and Mm. it's on so many different devices. So that means you can have it on your iPhone or your iPad or your Android tablet. And... um, and obviously, it works on all the Kindle, Kindle um, platform and all its different devices. It's a color book, so it doesn't work all that well on a monochrome e-ink screen, which is the classic Kindle. It's really it's designed for a color screen. You can, you can use it that way, but some, a lot of the subtlety of the illustrations is going to be lost. And there are a lot of illustrations. The goal of the book to, was to do something that was very visual. So... The illustrations are the most important aspect, and there's nothing in the book that isn't explained through an illustration of one kind or another. The text is is secondary to the illustrations, and the illustrations took the most of the effort and time in creating the book. I have to ask because I, I love ebooks just because of the interactivity that can be added to them. 
Sure. Are there plans in another future j- version to add interactivity in some way, you know, videos or anything like that, or is it? I've thought about it a lot, and I I'm not prepared to commit to that, but mm-hmm. I I would hope that there are videos, you know, screen capture style videos in my future. I'm getting pretty good at creating them, and I hope there will be another book with even more in it and maybe that book will have more digital elements i just don't know now i have one last question that i ask all the editors i interview and that's what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch ah yes i've heard you ask this before (laughs) you know you know what it's a picture that most people haven't seen that i really loved is a show called the late show okay it's uh i I don't i don't think there's a single i'm not giving you my favorite guilty pleasure movie i don't know if i really have one but you know you're you're asking for a B movie, so Robert Benton wrote uh, directed a picture called The Late Show, with Art Carney playing a slightly deaf and over the hill detective. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen it in years, but I remember loving it at the time. So. Okay. Well, thank you for allowing me to interview you. Sure, my pleasure. That was my interview with Stephen. And just so you know, if you're in Europe, we're going to be coming to London in June as well as Amsterdam, as well as Dublin, Ireland in July. So we're looking to set up small pub nights there and gatherings so people can just come meet and hang out. Let us know if you know of any good pubs. It's info at aotg.com. And you can also get us on Twitter at ArtGuillotine. So I'm going to wrap this one up. We're getting ready for NAB. We're going to be out in Las Vegas. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff on PostChat. So you can get us on Twitter with hashtag PostChat. If you're doing something, or if you're looking for something to do, you can also meet up with us for breakfast or something on Thursday morning. We still have a small bit of time in the morning. Throughout NAB, you're going to get small little snippets and updates through this podcast, or you can go to aotg.com and get all the news all the time. So I'd like to thank Stephen for allowing me to interview him. I'd like to thank my producer, Lauren Woodcock. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.